2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Network Classic here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. And we've got another great one uh, from the Tuesday Night Titans collection uh, on the network. Uh, This happened uh, February 1st, 1985, way back when, and a lot going on at this point with the World Wrestling Federation. This is uh, one of the early episodes. They had not been doing Tuesday Night Titans for very long. And uh, I'll give you a little heads up here to find this so that uh, you can be ready when we actually start watching it. Uh, you go on the WWE Network, and then of course you go to In Ring. You click on that up at the top of the page, and then you go to uh, down to uh, WWE Classic Series. And about four of those icons in, you'll see uh, the icon for uh, tu- uh, Tuesday Night Titans, TNT. You'll see the logo there. And uh, then you, uh, you know, click on that. Now, when you go to that page, there's no dates on these episodes. But if you go down and uh, I think it's the fourth or fifth uh, episode, but you'll see it'll say um, uh, Don Morocco shows off surfing skills, uh, shows off his surfing skills. And that's the episode we're going to be doing. But that is from February 1st, 1985. And you know, I always say with these uh, Tuesday Night Titans, I mean, they're so bad, they're good. They're just fun to watch because these are kind of the early days, and of course, it's uh, it's a time when you know they were, they had like early effects when they uh, you know did stuff on television. It was all kind of new. the The uh, digital age was just developing, and uh, these electronic effects and everything were uh, pretty primitive when you look at them today. But back then, it was state of the art. Uh, you, you know, you see these graphics flying in and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, some production notes also with this that you'll notice right away. They're very heavy music at the beginning. And then Alfred comes in and you can hear barely hear him. Lord Alfred Hayes, who was, you know, kind of the Ed McMahon uh, to, uh, to Vince McMahon's Johnny Carson, um, where he would do the opening credits saying who's going to be on the show and who it was sponsored by. And as uh, David Porty, who is really like a consultant for us on these episodes, uh, points out that, you know, they had originally uh, used uh, Herb Alpert um, music back then for the uh, opening uh, music for the show. And, of course, things were a little different back then as far as rights goes uh, and went and, uh, you know, how you would pay for the rights to use the music. And when they put these on the network... Uh, I think they knew that uh, the, that people would come after them for using the music. They'd have to pay for it. And, uh, you know, they didn't want, didn't want to do that. So they've dubbed in this other uh, theme music that they're using. and uh, But they wanted to keep Alfred's voice in there. So it's way down. You can barely hear it. You, know, you can make out what he's talking about. But, of course, the mix is awful because they've got, you know, this other music in there. And then they are bringing up Alfred's uh, from the original tracks. So that's uh, that's just a, an interesting note to this and um you know the rest of it they use uh the house music they've got that house band that was in there so to bring him in and bumps in and out on the on the different segments um as i mentioned uh you know they basically titled the show Don Morocco shows off his surfing skills and this is you know he's the first guest in this thing and Don Morocco who had returned to the the WWF after, after an earlier stint uh, from uh, 83 and 84, I believe, and then he left. And then he came back uh, this time, and uh, he's a super heel in this, and they've hooked him up with Mr. Fuji, who, according to the notes, and, of course, we've got notes here from uh, David Porty, who, uh, as I mentioned, is a consultant, uh, helps us out a lot with all these episodes, but also um, uh, the other source, uh, the wrestling DA wrestling DAWrestlingSite.com, and... Uh, you know they point on here, uh, point out on here that um, Mr. Fuji had uh, recently retired from the ring. Very close. I mean, he was doing matches uh, into 1985, uh, but this is uh, kind of where he was really making his transition from being a wrestler and uh, becoming, um, you know, Mr. Fuji, the manager, who was kind of a ripoff from Top Job from uh, James Bond, if you remember. Uh, that's that was the, the character. He had the top hat and the. Uh, the tuxedo and uh, that you know that's something that would stay with him throughout his career with the WWF. You know, he was always Mr. Fuji and that was his his deal but uh, you know of course he had a couple of different things that he would do along the way. Remember he was did the traditional uh, sumo you know garb uh, when he was managing Yokozuna but uh, uh, but Yokozuna but you know for the most part it was always Mr. Fuji with that uh, kind of top job Look, and he's still relatively in decent shape here. I mean, you could see that he could probably step into the ring uh, as he would, uh, you know, get a little larger over the years. But here he still looks pretty good. Uh, Don Morocco, though, is kind of a different story here. He's, he's massive in this. And, uh, you know, part of the gimmick of this is they show him surfing. Um, you know, on the, the beaches of Hawaii, they did a, a series of vignettes. And you can see, man, he is, uh, he's, uh, he's big here. Uh, and, and, and also what you'll see though, I mean, he was really a good surfer for this, you know, the size of this guy, man, he, uh, he had to be up near, uh, you know, 300 pounds at this point. And, uh, clearly he was, uh, had surfed a lot throughout his life, knew what he was doing out there, not massive waves, but I still, I was watching this stuff going, wow, man, he could really surf. He really could surf. Uh, so, and he makes light of it, you know, those waves are nothing if you would have stuck around for another day when the waves got bigger, I could have really showed you something, but you're going to see him the, you know, on the board and, and and he knows what he's doing. It's not just something they threw him up there and he tried to, you know, uh, just fake it, man. He was uh, he was uh, the real deal here and you'll you'll see that. Um uh you'll see him in a in, in a squash match uh, uh as they continue to push Mr. Fuji and this is early stuff with Jesse Ventura. I always like listening to this, the, these, uh, these matches because this is when Jesse is still just getting it together as a commentator. They were, uh, you know, had him paired up with Jack Reynolds, who also hosted the early editions of Primetime Wrestling that had uh, begun uh, in addition to Tuesday Night Titans. And so he's very, very raw here as far as that goes. And you're going to see some things that they point out here. Jack Reynolds just really, uh, you know, basically just blows him out. You'll see at the end of the match here with, with correcting him on what ma- what move he had called. So uh, you'll see that. But the, I always love to hear this because, you know, to me, Jesse became one of the best uh Color commentators and professional wrestling, uh, as he uh, within a very short period of time when he was paired up with Vince. And I've said it many times, uh, wasn't a big fan of, of Vince on his own or with other people. But I really, really thought that him and Jesse were a great, uh, uh, you know, commentary partnership there with those guys. And um, and, and uh, Jesse would get just get better and better, and was uh, you know one of the best there ever was, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, you're going to hear him in that matchup. Um, they love to do this. Let's goof on, uh, you know, the, the, the Southerners, uh, and, and they do so in this. And of course, if you remember, uh, this is back when, uh, Hillbilly Jim got a big push. Remember he started, he was the guy that, uh, you know, was in, in the stands, a big fan of, uh, all the baby faces and, uh, you know, had, uh would come in and and got started getting involved in matches. And of course it was all part of a big push and he would be good hooked up with Hulk Hogan uh, before that would go South, you know, because of an injury. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But in this one, they bring granny Kim on and, and remember, uh, they kind of had this, this whole hillbilly uh, theme going with uh, no, you know, not just hillbilly Jim when the, in the overalls, I mean, they, they had family involved and uh, they break out the, Hillbilly's set once again, and they invite Granny Kim on, who's uh, Hillbilly Jim's supposed grandma. And she's got a couple of bloodhounds with her, and Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes have a little fun with her on the set as they uh, try and uh, get a push here for Hillbilly Jim. And we actually get to see his uh, official first match uh, victory um, with with Hulk Hogan uh, at ringside for that. So that's, uh, you know, in a match, a squash match that uh, that'll be also included in this. Um, Andre the Giant makes an appearance um, as he's teamed up once again with Special Delivery Jones, SD Jones. And I think we saw this match. I can, I'm trying to remember from when we did. I think they had it included um, uh, some bits of it with uh, in one of the other earlier Tuesday Night Titans that we did. But um, they take on Big John Stud. And Ken Patera, who uh, was uh, you know uh, Bobby Heenan was the manager, and uh, he's he uh, he he's a guest on the show as well. He comes out, and uh, you know this is this is classic Heenan, as he also was uh, really hitting his stride uh, uh, with the WWF, and then of course my favorite. Uh, classy Freddie Blassie is on. And uh, I think if you've listened to the show for any length of time, uh, when I do mention Freddie Blassie, it's very fondly because I got to be very close with with Freddie. And uh, he's on here. And one of the best managers, I think, uh, of his time and era. And uh, to this day, I mean, I think that uh, when you, you talk about uh, some of the great managers in wrestling, he's got to be included on that list. And not only that, but also a great wrestler. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard for people to remember in a lot of cases because they didn't see him wrestle. Uh, he spent a lot of time on the West Coast and was very well known up and down the uh, the West Coast from, uh, you know, the San Francisco and all those uh, venues there and, of course, down Los Angeles and even San Diego and uh, just really was a super, super heel. I mean, I remember Freddie telling me stories about, you know, uh, how – these wrestling fans just hated his guts so much that they would—I mean—he had to really uh, fear for his life many times. You know, they wanted to stab him and shoot him, and they vandalized his cars. And he—he uh, yeah, he was uh, as far as getting heat. Man, uh, there are few in the business, especially at the time, who did it better than Classy Freddie Blassie. And uh, when we get to him, I'll, I'll tell you some more stories. But I—I really, I should do. An entire episode on Freddie because I just love the guy and 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 I uh, got the uh, I was had the great fortune of being able to hang out with him an awful lot when I lived back east and was working with the WWF and was based out of Stanford there. Uh, I lived in Norwalk, which if you know the layout of that area, they're very close to Stanford. Well, uh, Freddie lived down in uh, in Hartsdale, which is uh, you know uh, in New York, but it's just uh, over the line there, and uh, he. Uh, had a house there And was married to a, a traditional Japanese woman, Miyako uh, And they, they, you know, it wasn't a big, uh, a huge home But it was a really nice little place And uh, Freddie well, invited uh, myself over there several times for dinner And um, got to know Miyako very well And Freddie and I would also go down to New York City And uh, do uh, a lot of charity events uh, Through the, you know, the WWF and uh, one of our favorites was that every year, Franco Harris had this uh, event that he did uh, for for children and sports, and uh, they had, would have all these celebrities, and big-time, big-time celebrities, and they would uh, host us down there, and it, it was just fantastic. It was uh, just unbelievable what they would do. It was first class all the way, and we would go uh, down there and spend uh, the weekend, and then they would, uh, you know, you, during the day, you'd go and do different sports, whatever you wanted to do. I remember I played tennis one time. And uh, that's a whole other story because I was not a tennis player. But <laughs> just, I just, I didn't humiliate myself that badly because they would put you as somebody who actually was really good. But uh, anyway, I remember we played the Van Patten brothers. I don't know, I'm getting off on the sidetrack here, but it, I just remembered this story and that, that they wanted me to play tennis. And... uh they hooked me up with this tennis pro God, I wish I could remember his name. But he was a really great tennis player and uh, had played at Wimbledon and, and was really good. And Anyway, uh, the Van Patten Brothers. Now, if you remember Dick Van Patten on that, uh, that one show, Eight is Enough. Remember, he was the dad. Well, he, his sons were kind of actors, I guess. They got some bit parts. And, but anyway, they, they grew up in Hollywood and uh, wherever they were out in California. And they, were, they played a lot of tennis and uh so anyway we went out there and they knew I was the weak weak link and uh they just kept hitting the ball to me and just basically I had no shot no chance we were playing doubles and so anyway this uh tennis pro kind of pulls me back and he said look just stay in the back line here and let me let me take over here so it's basically you know two on one and he schooled these guys and it was just just ugly. I mean, he just they're falling over, they're getting pissed, they're smashing their rackets on the uh, you know, the court cuz uh, he's just he's just, you know, and he was older too. This guy was probably at the time in his 50s and he's just running circles around these guys. So finally he calls him up to the net cuz they had a decent crowd there and he says, "Look, uh, do you want to just play tennis, you know, because here we got, Sean's not, you knew he's not experienced here and you're just taking advantage of it. And he goes, otherwise I'll continue to make you look like idiots. So you're going to play tennis or we're going to fuck around? And they were like, okay. And uh, then we went back and had a nice little match, but it was uh, it was really fun. Uh, that whole event was. And Freddie, who was a very, uh, uh, you know, traditional guy uh, and, and, uh, and Miyako was, like I said, she was a traditional Japanese woman. And uh, that was the way the culture was, that that the men were very dominant over women, and they were basically, they served, they lived to serve the man. And uh, that was pretty much the relationship. They, they were funny together, and she adored Freddie, and he adored her, but it was this very traditional marriage. And she did everything, everything for Freddie. And uh, I just remember, the reason I brought this event up is because Freddie... <laughs> We we stayed at that uh, hotel and it was relatively new. Now I think it was a Hilton. It was one that had the the, ho- the uh, restaurant that that spins on top. And uh, I I just remember they would they had a car. They would sent a limousine that were going to take us back up back home. Then they would drop Freddie off first, and they would take uh, you know me and my my wife at the time up to our home in Norwalk. And so we would ride in the same car. And I remember with that we were all supposed to meet out the next morning. It was like a Sunday morning, and they were going to take us back up. So it's like ten o'clock and. And um, uh, we're out in front. Got we've already got our luggage in the car, and we're just kind of waiting outside in front. And then Freddie comes out, and it's just Freddie. And Freddie would used to have like this man bag. It was like a purse, you know, just a, and and he would carry everything with. it. And this was very popular at the time. Bobby Heenan had one, and you would keep your basic, you know, maybe your wallet, some cash, uh, some jewelry, or something in there. And Freddie comes out, and that's what he's carrying. That's what he's got. And uh, a couple of uh, minutes later. Um, you, the, the, you see, they had the, uh, the big revolving doors and here comes Miyako and the woman could not have weighed hundred, a hundred pounds. There's no way. And she's got, you know, all the bags, <laughs> I mean, you know, one over the shoulder two, And, the, and I go to help her and Freddie's like, Hey, 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 you know, this is the, the she, you know, she'll get upset. Just leave you know, let her do what she's got to do. And the poor woman comes out with these bags and and thank God he let the guy who, you know, drove the car take the bags from her. But I wasn't that, you know, like, hey, 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 everything's good here. We're all good. (laughs) That's just, that's the way it was. And uh, she, they had a, they had installed a Japanese tub in his house because Freddie had every part of his body was fused. It was his neck, his shoulders, his, you know, knee, everything. And he would actually sleep in a Lazy Boy chair because he couldn't lay down. I mean, that's how bad it was. But they had this traditional Japanese tub that that uh, Miyako would, every night, would bathe him. I mean, it was, uh, in his eyes, a perfect relationship. And she was just as happy to take care of Freddie and loved him uh, dearly. And they were a great couple. And we just had uh, a lot of good times. So, but that, that, was, that was the relationship. And, uh, you know, it worked. So, but... Freddie, Freddie, Freddie. And I just loved him so. He was such a great guy and uh, spent got to spend a lot of time with each other. But, um, you know, just seeing him in this just brought back some great memories because he was such a good heel, such a good heel. And I, I used to love hearing the stories about him uh, when he would go to Japan because over there they were scared to death of Freddie Blassie. He could start riots. I mean, he did. He would go to events and basically... Uh, people would be trampling each other to get away from him, and uh, God, maybe someday I can really, when we have more time, or I'll, I'll tell a few of those stories. But man, uh, Freddie, just uh, awesome, awesome, awesome personality. Uh, he in this uh, at this point in time is managing Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, and uh, you know this is a few months out from we're talking February, so the next end of the next month would be WrestleMania one, the first one, and as we would see. Uh, Nikolai Volkoff and the Iron Sheik would end up becoming tag team champions. And in this uh, episode of of uh, Tuesday Night Titans, Freddie Blassie is very, very confident that that is going to happen as a uh, take on Steve Lombardi, uh, the Brooklyn Brawler, who was not the Bro- Brooklyn Brawler at this time, and he, a very young Steve Lombardi teaming up with Mario Mancini, who would make a couple of appearances in this, uh, this show and in, in these squash matches. Uh, I guess uh, you know uh, as enhancement talent, as uh, we'll say. So uh, that's all coming up with this, and uh, it's 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 a fun episode uh, once again with uh, Vince McMahon playing uh, you know Johnny Carson and Lord Alfred Hayes uh, with his Ed McMahon as we begin another episode of Tuesday Night Titans. Uh, this one from, as I said, uh, February first, nineteen eighty-five. So I hope you're all queued up once again if you haven't. Uh, Got in there, you go in ring And then you go to uh, The uh, WWE Classic Series And then you find uh, TNT, Tuesday Night Titans And uh, once you uh, Get there, there's no dates on these Until you actually click on it But the, the title of it is Don Morocco shows off his surfing skills uh, In this episode From uh, February 1st, 1985 It's like four uh, from the bottom one of the early, early episodes of Tuesday Night Titans, okay? So, quick pause. Uh, make sure you guys are all queued up. We come back and we'll go, okay? So,
0: let's, uh, I'm going to pause it right now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now, Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>
2: And here we go with another great episode of Tuesday Night Titans as we begin with that uh, tremendous, uh, you know, animation. As I uh, said before, uh, this is all state-of-the-art <laughs> CGs, all these character generator, that's what that stood for. And uh, these were the early days, but at the time, this was, this was really cool stuff. As you see, the T-N-T roll in. Uh, as we uh, start another episode. And uh, the notes in here, and, and this is David Porty points us out, who's, uh, you know, helps us out, uh, how that music had to be replaced because originally it was uh, something from Herb Alpert who was very popular at the time, you know, the Tijuana Brass. And they have uh, other music they put in here, but you can hear Alfred barely hear him. So he's very low here because he, you know, he served as the Ed McMahon to... Uh, uh, Vince McMahon's Johnny Carson in this and so he would do the announcing telling you who was going to be on the show who sponsored it you saw the 501 jeans and but you could barely hear him because they, they wanted to keep that in there but they had to keep it very low so that you wouldn't hear the mix from the other music as Vince McMahon brings us in wearing um, well what would become known as his very classic suits that he wore he really was into the three-piece suit look with the, you know, the pocket uh, kerchief there And uh, that would become kind of his his trademark, I mean, part of his look for years, uh, wearing those uh, outlandish three-piece suits of every every color of the rainbow, folks. I mean, he had a yellow one, he had an orange one, he had, you know, powder blue. And unfortunately, uh, us announcers got uh, jackets that were, I think, from his color scheme because we had maroon and uh, powder blue, Uh, Vince liked that with the WWF patch on it. Uh first up here in uh, Tuesday Night Titans this episode from February 1st 1985 and keep in mind we're we're not that far away from WrestleMania 1 taking place as uh Morocco the magnificent Morocco comes out with his manager Mr. Fuji who at this time had not uh been that far removed from being in the ring himself and you can see he's in pretty good shape here as uh, the years would roll on he would uh, put on a few uh pounds but here, he still looks pretty good, like he could get in the ring, as he would uh, have his his signature outfit that he wear, kind of a, a ripoff from Top Job, if you guys uh, were fans of James Bond. Top Job was uh, an evil villain character who uh, had that uh, top hat that he would wear that you know he could throw and, and uh, decapitate people with it. But Mr. Fuji, uh, that would pretty much be his, uh, his shtick forever. It would be times when he would step out of that. If you remember when he uh, when he managed Yokozuna, he had the traditional Japanese garb as a sumo. Uh, but uh, Vince McMahon here interviewing Morocco and making a comment that you know the fans call him uh, he's such a, he's a heel now uh, in the second stint. This is about his second stint, I think, with the WWF. I may have mentioned that uh, so he had been uh, been with the WW, uh, WF earlier. Um, had spent time with their with the operation uh, in '83, I think, to '84. But here's some video of Don Morocco on a surfboard. Now you think at this point, boy, what's he just going to do, body surfing? No, man, this guy can surf. When until you see him get up here, okay? Uh, You're talking, he's got to weigh upwards. He's got to be close to 300 pounds. Look at him go on this board. I mean, he knows what he's doing. This isn't something that they threw together to try and make him look like he could surf. He could do it. He could hang 10, as they say. And there, that's a pretty good-sized wave, right? Got the tube going there. Look at that. He's going. So I was really impressed when I saw this. Is it? That, that's no stunt double. That's Don Morocco surfing, and they've got one here. I and mean, this last uh, one that he does, he rides this wave and then takes it all the way into the shore. When you don't have a whole lot of water there, yeah, right here, just riding it in, riding it in, riding it in. So his feet, you know, barely have to uh, step down into the water when he gets out of here. You see right there, though, he's he's big. He's big there, yeah. There you go, Don Morocco on a board. Yeah, Vince is impressive, impressed. But Morocco says, "Hey, no, no, it was an embarrassment. Because if you would have seen me, if you would have waited 24 hours when the waves got really big, I could have really shown you what uh, what I could do." And I, you know what? I, after seeing him out there, I, I I don't doubt it. I bet I bet he could really really show you something if he had um, you know massive waves. He guy knows what he was doing out there. Definitely impressed. Mr. Fuji, really good at nodding and laughing. This was uh <laughs> You notice at this point he still hasn't said one single word. Vince ain't buying this very much, but but he's saying it's it's kind of weird. He's talking about how they're rushing him through. You're rushing me. And I don't know what, what he's talking about here. That, you know, there's just too much. Uh That's a little taken aback. Oh. So, uh, we're going to take a timeout here, but we're going to see Don Morocco in action in a squash match uh, that's coming up here. That, uh, uh, in the notes here, checking... uh, it was taped on uh, January 7th from Hamilton, Ontario, and set for broadcast on February 2nd, an episode of All-Star Wrestling. Uh, one of his uh, first matches here that uh, since he had returned to the WWF in 85. Now, uh, this was in February. Remember, February 1st. So we're less than two months away from WrestleMania 1 which would change the world for Vince McMahon and the, uh, the rest of the company and uh, the rest is kind of history after that happened. But this is all still build up to that first WrestleMania. And we've got uh, a match coming up here, which uh, I really enjoyed watching for a a number of reasons. And I'll tell you, Uh, but now this, I just kind of found this funny because remember I said, we still haven't heard from Mr. Fuji and he's, Saying you know mr fuji uh you know you you you're not you're known to get involved in matches and you think he's gonna say something and then he's just vince goes into the match doesn't even give him a chance to talk, <laughs> oh man, so uh, this is Mario Mancini taking on the magnificent one, and uh you know he was a the guy they uh used a lot, you would see him around um as i guess a super jobber he wasn't just some guy they picked up uh when they were in town he would make uh, a few appearances around the uh the east coast and all those uh different venues that they had and one thing i also loved about this matchup and i uh is the fact that you've got jesse ventura who is uh just really starting to do some commentary Uh, making that uh, transition now out of the ring and uh, doing more and more commentary. And they paired him up here with Jack Reynolds, who he also hosted primetime wrestling with as Morocco goes right to work on Mancini with a a bunch of knees right to the midsection, hoists him up, and uh, just going to uh, send him down for a backbreaker. And uh, Jesse says, it's a unique style of a backbreaker, quite, uh, <laughs> as he pounds away. But this, this is uh, early Jesse, and Jesse's still trying to figure out how to do this, and uh, not great. And uh, you know that if you've listened to the program that I, I was a big Jesse Ventura fan as, as far as his play-by-play one, because I think he became one of the best ever at it. He uh, was a classic heel and uh knew how to play both sides to put oh, no matter who was over in the ring if he was a babyface or a heel Jesse learned you know would do just really really well because he would uh you know berate the babyfaces on how dare they do this you know whatever the move was and saying they they sit there and claim they're so pure but then they go resort to these tactics which would help put them over and then the heels of course he was all about and they, no matter what they did, he had a, a reason for why they did it and why they were justified. And Jesse became uh, great, developed his own style. And you've heard me many times say I wasn't a big fan of Vince's play-by-play when he was with other people, but I thought that he paired up really well with Jesse. I thought that they were a good team together. And uh, as long as they were together, he, he made Vince look good. They, they, they had a really good combination. Big e, uh, big uh, uh, knee right there to the 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 uh, chin of Mancini as he goes down once again, and Morocco takes a timeout to uh, take in some of the adulation. And if you'll see, there's a there's a group of guys about three rows back that are big Morocco fans. So uh, definitely had that. So now that was Morocco's finishing move. It was a, a pile driver. And Jesse says an interesting take on a double shoulder breaker or something, and it's like what? So Morocco finally finishes off Mario Mancini mercilessly as the guy uh, couldn't wait for that one to get over. But look at see the guys that back there in the row they love they love them uh, they love them some Morocco. That's Mister Fuji very happy about uh this protege here securing a victory very easily over someone that he absolutely should have had a very easy victory over <laughs> but uh i i just i love this that uh you know we're going to show off some of the uh electronic genius here that they do a replay And uh, Jesse says, uh, an interesting take on a double uh, shoulder breaker reverse pile driver. And Reynolds says, no, Jesse, I think that's a pile driver. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so some simple effects there, but we got the replay, you know, stealing a page from what uh, Network Sports was doing at the time. And uh, Morocco trying to make it clear to everybody. He's not from Waikiki. He's from Sunset Beach, Hawaii. Not California. Sunset Beach, Hawaii. As we uh, saw right there as he takes care of... Uh... Oh, look at We hear from Mr. Fuji. Talking about what he was going to do, right? All right, Okay. Yeah, Mr. Fuji. Uh, that, that, uh, that promo wouldn't change much over the years, but he, you know, Mr. Fuji did what he, uh, he did, and he was very successful, he was a manager for many, many, many superstars and helped uh, put them over. And, of course, he was always a threat at ringside. You never knew what he was up to. So Morocco going on about the uh, the wonders what Mr. Fuji has done to transform him into someone who no longer feels pain. Now now he's just uh, now he's just dishing it out. He doesn't uh, he doesn't feel pain. It's it allows him to just really torture people. Oh boy, nobody's ready for Morocco. And uh, keep in mind, you know, we're uh, less than two months from WrestleMania and some big matches that would uh, that would be involved in. That uh, tremendous event that would change uh, the world of uh, professional wrestling. And, of course, uh, for the WWF, it would change forever. Just, in, uh, just incredible. So we're going to take a quick time out here. We're going to come back. And uh, we get to visit with Granny Kim. Which, uh, <laughs> God. Okay. Now, Vince never missed an opportunity to uh, belittle somebody from <laughs> other parts unknown. This from Kentucky. She's uh, Bill Billy Jim's grandmother, Granny Kim. And it's funny because she forgets Vince's name and says, what's your name again? <laughs> but I guess as you're playing an old granny, you can get away with that. But I just thought that was uh, that was pretty funny. And she uh, talks about uh her her beloved grandbaby as uh, she uh talks about what a w- wonderful wonderful person he is big giant heart but he is one powerful man right mm hmm okay and Alfred you know having a little problem thinking these dogs are a little odorous these bloodhounds but you know pretty well behaved dog just checking out the set just hanging out and I mentioned Vincent the three-piece suits there. Now this this is another thing he had going that he would have, uh, you know, the the matching suit and vest with the uh, the the pocket kerchief there, and then he would have uh, a different color pants, like a solid, like that was a brown suit, so that would have been a dark brown pants that he wore, and he had uh, quite a combination. But we would see. So many different colored suits, every color of the rainbow, no kidding. And unfortunately, uh, that would spread to us in a sense that we had these blazers they had made, and maybe you saw them now and then, where they had the maroon, we had a maroon one, we had a powder blue one, and I hated them. I hated to wear them. I, I just wanted to wear the blue blazer, the dark blue blazer. I just thought that was a nice look with the patch, and the other colors just didn't match. And so I would keep them up in the dressing room for... You know, I would just have them up there until somebody would say, you know, uh, they want you to, you know, maybe wear a different color this week. And so I would have to do a week where I'd have to wear the powder blue or whatever. But I hated those colors. I'm glad they finally, finally, they just didn't say anything anymore. And I just wore the blue all the time. As Granny goes on to talk about how powerful Hillbilly Jim is that he could, uh, you know, she tells him a, a story of when she had a flat tire in her pickup truck. And Hillbilly Jim just picked that truck up all by himself while she changed the tire. <laughs> so, yeah, talking about, uh, you know, he, he, he learns quick. He learns. Uh, and and uh, of course, if you know the story, if you remember, uh, you know, uh, Hillbilly Jim had been, uh, they'd see him in the front rows, uh, the front rows of different events, because that's how they brought him in, that he was watching, and finally he couldn't take it anymore, and he would get involved in matches. And then, of course, uh, would end up under the wing of Hulk Hogan, who's at ringside here. And this is apparently the first of Mitch, uh, official match for Hillbilly Gym, Uh from January 26th uh, episode of Championship Wrestling. And... What what's kind of funny here is that we join this match in progress. The thing's a squash match, and yet we come in and it's already underway. <laughs> As heavily Jim shows off uh, some massive power here with these uh, shoulder blocks, big body slam on uh, this unfortunate uh, jobber who uh, ended up in the ring with him, Terry Gibbs, and you know they actually let. Gibbs mount a little offense here because they show, you know, that he's just, uh, he's he's dirty, man. He goes right for the eyes. And Vince McMahon is at ringside or, or is doing play-by-play here with Bruno San Martino, which, uh, you know, Bruno wasn't wasn't great at uh, being a commentator, but he's Bruno San Martino, so it didn't matter. You know, everybody just loved Bruno, so they loved him. As uh, Gibbs here, you know, mounting some offense, some big shots, uh, you know. uh, Shot to the back of the neck there. Big right. And then he tries to pick up Hillbilly Jim, but you know, that ain't happening. That ain't going to happen. So Jim's going to show him how it's done. And a big power slam. A whole lot in his uh, repertoire here. And this is supposedly his, uh, you know, the big finishing move uh and you know bringing him in it was it was uh they bill him as you know this complete amateur who had been found you know in the in the stands but he'd had uh, experience coming into this and had been with continental wrestling for a couple of years under a gimmick uh Harley Davidson if you'll remember but so they were pushed they had this big uh push for hillbilly Jim they you know lined it all up and what's kind of unfortunate about it is that like this was February, and then so they had the uh, the first match he'd have. I see this uh, in the notes, and I'm gonna I want to check see what what uh, David uh, had mentioned also, but uh, Hillbilly Jim was going to get a big push. Was going to do uh, you know a bunch of matches with Hulk Hogan. And uh, I believe that he had a match, uh, kind of his first official match with what you you know a superstar at the time, but it was uh, who was on his way out. He would become uh, an agent for a number number of years after was Rene Goulet, who um, passed away recently, or they had announced it officially that he had passed away. I think uh, a while back, I think. Um, but Rene Goulet was the first official match that Hillbilly had. And of course, uh, it's unfortunate and our, our thoughts with uh, his family. But uh, you know, and I never really had a chance to do a lot with Rene. Rene was a guy that was a road agent and you'd see him at TV tapings, but didn't get to know him very well, but he was always great to me and was uh, sorry to hear about his passing. But that at first that first official match, I guess was with, was with Rene uh, Goulet uh, in uh, you know the middle of February and according to this you know a couple of days after is when he uh you know hurt his knee in a match and that was uh, pretty awful because it basically ruined it uh, forever i mean he never really bounced back from that he, that that momentum uh that he that he had was um you know uh, just had been snuffed and he 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 did get some uh you know, you got to push to a certain extent, but it was never the momentum that they got. And they would bring in, you know, Uncle Elmer and Junior and all that. And it just kind of went wah, wah, wah. Uh, Jim would basically end up becoming a big ambassador for the WWF. And you see Ken Patera here in the ring right now. massive massively strong Kent patera, Bobby Heenan, his manager, along with uh, Big John Stud, uh, all part of the Heenan stable and Big John Stud at his biggest and uh, this is the the big featured match here, Andre the giant making his way to the ring. and we had seen uh you know, I think we saw. Highlights of this match In one of the other episodes that we did But we're actually going to get to see this one And it had uh, originally been featured On an episode of Championship Wrestling According to the notes Back in November of 1984 And, and uh, uh, Vince You know Making it as grand as possible From what I recall It was not a great match But uh didn't matter, it's the people they had in the ring, and they team him up uh, with with uh, SD Jones, and people were kind of like, "What? I mean, really?" Uh, at this point, you know, SD had been uh, doing an awful lot of uh, enhancement matches, so we say. That's Patera. It's ready to start this thing out with SD. And, you know, it's funny you seeing this wide shot. Look how big Andre is just up there on the apron compared to everybody else. Looks like these little, so small. And then you see Andre, you can't miss him. I mean, he just dominates the screen. Arm dragged by SD, takes down Patera. Not, that was not real pretty. And SD makes the tag. In comes Andre the Giant. Goes right after Patera. Head, butt to the shoulder. And just going to go to work on that uh, left arm of Patera. And another tag in comes S.D. But uh, a lot of this is, you know, to uh, show off uh, Heenan. And he's going to come on as a guest in this show coming up here. But you've got uh, Jones and Patera in here now. As Patera, the backbreaker, keeps him in their corner. And in comes John Studd. Who, when you see him next to Andre, man, doesn't look like a giant. I mean, that just shows you how big Andre is. And I've mentioned before, Andre not a fan of Big John Studd. As far as he was concerned, there's only room for one giant in the WWF. And boy, did John Studd pay for it. Whenever they were in the ring, uh, Andre was not exactly kind. Yeah, Andre uh, probably wouldn't have minded connecting with that uh, big meat hook. But continues to pound away on SD. And Bruno San (laughs) Martino doing the play-by-play here. Kick right there, man. Oh, and it traps Patera in that corner. Makes a tag as Patera sends SD right over the top rope. And you notice on the floor there, they had no mats. That's cement down there. And you know what? I mean, we all know that these guys know what they're doing, but that's still cement, folks. And uh, and you got to make sure you land right. Uh, uh, As it uh, went with with, um, Hillbilly Jim, as we back up a little bit, when he hurt his knee, which set him out for weeks and basically killed him in the WWF as far as getting a a big, giant push there. He uh, he, uh, apparently slipped on some water and took out his knee, and he was out for a number of weeks. And it takes two of them to slam Andre. Uh, What do you think Andre went for at this point? He had to be up near, what, 500 pounds? As they do a little double-team action here. It's funny, you look at Patera Man in this match, and he was uh, maybe not the tallest guy in the world, but he was a big dude, and he just looks so small in there. Double elbows there. And uh, we've already heard the bell as they continue to work on Andre, and I don't know where SD is. He's probably still disabled there on the... uh, down there on the cement, who they said oh he had hit his head into the uh, the hard railing there, the steel railing. And Andre the Giant at the mercy now as they got it, they have a pair of scissors. They're going to cut Andre's hair. Oh my God! And. Uh, as uh, Vince goes on to say, it's uh, you know just pure humiliation for Andre the Giant as uh, garbage starts to fly into the ring from the crowd. Cups. Andre, totally out of it because they've beaten him senseless. Oh, as Vince, oh, that's a classic line, raped the dignity of Andre the Giant. And even Heenan, Gets a shot in on S.D. Jones, drives that knee into his face as he tried to make his way into the ring to try and help Andre. And Bobby's not letting him do it. So that uh, certainly made this match unique. You didn't see Andre the Giant get his hair cut very often. So uh, obviously a great big push here. As we know, they continue to lay the groundwork. For uh, WrestleMania, WrestleMania one, and uh, that would be uh, you know uh, not too far away, less than two months from uh, as I told you, and they they would have that match at WrestleMania one with Andre the Giant facing Big John Studd, Bobby Heenan at ringside at WrestleMania. And you know who came out on top in that one, uh, of course, Andre the Giant. So it, it, one thing that I really liked about this time is that they they had they, they actually took the time to set storylines up. like I said, we're we're less than two months here, but that's a long time today. That's an eternity for running a storyline. Well, here they're setting these things up uh, months out between these guys. And I think that's a that's a big part of what uh, we're not we don't we don't see today. You don't really get to see those storylines develop. They're over in two weeks. And uh, all right, next. Yeah, so uh, Vince McMahon brings out Bobby Heenan in a very very purple suit. As the crowd uh, does not give him a very warm welcome, he won't even shake Lord Alfred Hayes' hand, which is. Uh, very classless. How could you? So uh, they are talking about um, uh, the fact that it was Bobby Heenan who was behind the whole deal of the scissors and uh, uh, the rape, the dignity. Vince really liked that line because he kept using it over and over again. So I'm not sure what the heck uh, that. <laughs> Boy. So Bobby's saying, you know, we actually helped him out. We uh, we helped him out in this because, uh, you know, he uh, he needed a haircut. So (laughs) Bobby was just great. He always had a a justification for anything that he did, right? But uh, here we are with this this matchup with uh, after uh, Andre the Giant gets has his uh, what raped his dignity, as Vince said, with his haircut. And Bobby Heenan at the time had not been with the World Wrestling Federation for that long, but it was clear, on, you know, not too far into the time he'd been there, that you realized that he was going—he was a star, and he was going to do really, really well uh, in this. But people always wondered, you're know, like, what the heck was Andre doing with SD Jones? So he must have—he must have liked him, because whatever Vince, I mean, whatever Andre wanted and wanted, whoever in there. That's that's the way it was going to work. So they're going back. Remember this one we actually featured this on our one of our uh classics um was them giving this guy a haircut and just humiliating the poor guy. Uh, he had a beard too which uh you know helped to uh more of the visuals here. But then they just uh, they just keep going and I'm sure this guy had no idea what he was in for when he agreed to to do this. They soak him and I think there's even one part even one part where where uh Big John Stud takes the the uh, clipper and trims the guy's eyebrow off and I'm you know that was always kind of the big rib uh, that if a guy fell asleep on a plane so it wasn't like this guy was going to go to work on on uh you know Monday and uh I mean, you know you could get away with the uh the, the shaved head maybe the beard but Without an eyebrow, um, was kind of over the top, and uh, Vince, you know, berating Bobby for what they did to this poor guy. Yeah, what do you think we would do this for? We we always there's a purpose behind everything we do. It's to send a message. So, yeah. Yeah, Bobby, uh, you know, was just good. He's so good at this stuff. And, sorry, I love to listen to Bobby. So if you, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So they talk about, you know, as much as their attack on Andre, you know, was for, for, to, to stir this up, uh, it was it was classic, classic, Heenan. And it, it just <laughs> so he's putting the boots here to Andre, uh, and, uh, And what they would eventually, leading to WrestleMania, this is laying the groundwork because that's when Big John Studd, who was in Heenan's stable, would face Andre, which I'm sure was a match that uh, Big John Studd just dreaded because he knew anytime he stepped into the ring, it was not going to be fun with Andre because Andre didn't like him. For For a number of reasons, probably at the top of that list was the fact that there's only one giant as far as Andre was concerned, and he didn't uh, like the the fact that Bing John Stud may have even been close to being as big as he was. So as we take another break, and we still got uh, a tag team matchup between uh, Nikolai Volkov, uh, teamed up with Iron Sheik, facing uh, Steve Lombardi and Mario Mancini. But uh, that's on the way. But first, we're going to. Bobby Heenan is, of course, now gone. And now in comes a a great manager. Freddie uh, Freddie Blassie, who, uh, if you've ever heard me talk about Freddie, and I did very uh, at length before we got into this episode. But I just love Freddie. And look at the outfit he's got on. He knew how to stand out. All the sequins. And you can imagine what his closet looked like, but uh, he's talking about how great the band is. But uh, as I mentioned also at the top of this, uh, when I mentioned uh, F- uh, Freddie Blassie, what what a, a great heel he was uh, and, and had a lot of work, we're very well-known out in on the West Coast from uh, one end to the other. And uh, Freddie talking about, uh, play, he plays golf, played golf with Bob Hope and Jack Lemon, rubbed elbows with all the celebrities. And it's funny that he mentions golf because we used to do uh we would go, I, could, I played golf. Freddie Freddy couldn't play golf at this point in his life when we were together. Uh, he would go with me though and he'd ride in the cart with me and he might putt or something. But he would. his job mostly was just to give people shit the whole time we were going and he did it so well and he could get away with it. And that is also like the comments he would make to women that you are really honest to God would not be able to get away with today but showing off a little bling here. So he's got a 16 karat diamond ring, but Freddie would ride with me. And, uh, I remember I, you know, I'd be able to look, be looking for a golf ball. He'd take the cart over and he would be up to something. I wouldn't know what he's doing. Uh, he would, you know, causing trouble or giving crap to the other golfers. And, uh, I remember one time we came back and we were sitting, you know, after you come in from a golf tournament, they had, they give out prizes and that kind of thing. People talk. And I remember them saying, Sean Mooney. And I'm like, what, you know, they're giving out the awards for longest drive and closest to the pin. And, and Freddie had gone and, uh, put my name on one of the, the, the things They would stick it into the fairway for like longest drive. And if you got a longest drive, it was like an honor system. And Freddie took that and put, uh, my name on it, and then you know, took it like 300 yards down the freeway, down the fairway, and I won. <laughs> like, and, and I, was, I, didn't know what the hell to do because I had to say no. Uh, I it, it didn't uh, I didn't win, so I had to go up there, and I can't remember what I won—a golf bag or something like that. And so I just held on to it to we were about ready to leave, and then I went and found whoever had. It. I said, "Look, Freddie, uh, Freddie, uh, just give this to the person in second place when you find them." <laughs> I'm really sorry, but he did that stuff all the time. It was just so much fun. God, we had a good time. Uh, this is, you know, the matchup here. Nikolai Volkov would always sing the Russian anthem very poorly. I don't think he ever sang it uh, the same twice, but it worked. Right? You can hear the crowd, and uh, of course, him teamed up with we the Iron Sheik. And look how look how great shape the the Sheik's in here. And he he was legit, uh, num- one of the strongest. Superstars in the WWF, and you hear some of the boys talk about his workout routine when he would do that with the pins. And you know, he said that he could sit there and work those pins just for you know hours, and what with, what with, with most people couldn't do them for you know two minutes. That's how strong his arms were. But he was uh, just a, a massive. I mean, he's just really incredibly strong. It's just too bad all the demons got the best of him. But man. Was he over? What a what a heel! And love the love the boots he's got the, the like the genie boots on with the turned up end ends on him. Love it! Oh, he's got camel breath. <laughs> so Sheik's going to start this one out, and I I did tell you who was going to be a part of this, but I will once again Steve Lombardi, a very young Steve Lombardi. Look at him, who would become the Brooklyn brawler, and then of course once again Mario Mancini. It was kind of it was a super jobber back then. And the sheik just begins to pound away. Neither one of these guys is going to be allowed to mount much offense. So he goes over with the uh, the flip here and tries to roll up the sheik, but he just pounds him in the forehead with a boot and breaks that up. As uh, Lombardi tries a side headlock there and goes over and makes the tag. So Massini is going to try his uh, attempt here to. Mount some offense, but it's not going to happen. Big shoulder block, and then a shot to the throat. A double uh, chop there, and suplex him right on the back of the head. Makes the tag in comes uh, Nikolai Volkov. His turn to his turn to uh, wreak some havoc. Big log across the back there, Nikolai. Uh, and do your little trying to hoist him up, but didn't got it. They, they they you know the arm isn't there where it should be with the uh, leg, but as the backbreaker slides him down and gets an easy cover. Not uh, the prettiest finish to a match, but has its effect as Nikolai takes the last shot at Lombardi, and they're not done yet. He just sends. Uh, there he goes. Uh, Sheik sends. Mancini over the second rope, and Lombardi better follow suit there, get the hell out of there, otherwise he will meet the same fate. As Freddie Blassie steps into the ring, very happy. And Freddie Blassie, of course, predicting that these two would become the tag team champions, that uh, would come to fruition. As uh, another thing they're setting up here for WrestleMania, when they would face... The U.S. Express, remember that tag team? The U.S. Express of Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham who uh, were the tag team champions at WrestleMania, but uh, that would end there as Nikolai and the Sheik would uh, end up with the belts. Yeah, but Freddie, you know, he always makes some money. But it, what he was a great, great, great manager. To me, uh, he's top five. Uh, of all of them you know Bobby Heenan of course in that group and uh, I'd have to put Slick in there Jimmy Hart but Freddie uh, was just just knew how to do it man and and uh, talk he talks about uh, the some of the heat that he used to get over in Japan you know you probably heard the legend where he would file his teeth to points to uh, you know just scare the living daylights out of the people where he would start you know stampedes at uh, these shopping malls over there, when they would take uh, them over, and I, I remember him telling me a story when they first uh, went over to Japan with Hulk Hogan. They were trying to, you know, to put him over there, and they wanted him to get some work over there because it's a whole different style. And he went with Freddie, and uh, you know, and and they had, they had him as a heel over there, and uh, he. Told me a story one time that when when he went over there with with Hulk and he was telling him, you know, you gotta, you you can scare the death out of these people. Just you know, go at them. and you know. And he said, so Hulk is trying to you know do what he told him, and he starts picking up these chairs and throwing them and like taking these people out. And Freddie's like, I didn't mean to take them out with chairs. You just got to scare them. <laughs> like, but uh, he he just had a million stories and just great his lordship uh, chimes in about just how dangerous uh, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkoff are as a tag team. Yeah, yeah, Mister Blassie, as he calls him. And uh, now we're going to wrap this thing up. And it's funny because they're not, they're not talking about you know the ta- future tag team champions. They never they don't mention WrestleMania. But, uh, see, Nikolai Volkov. Yes, oh boy, predicting the future. So we know what's coming, right? We know what's coming. But what a hell, a hell of a run, though, for uh, the Iron Sheik, like I said, just unfortunately. And Nikolai had a great career, too, but boy, who, who knows what uh, the Sheik could have done. Well, we all remember the, the the angles that he had with Hulk and also with Sergeant Slaughter and Vince's pretty big here already. You know, he's already well into the uh, working out. And, uh, and they wrap it up. by. You know, it's funny, he's out Granny Kim. He goes, God, how old is she? She's got to be really old. He says, yeah, she's got to be in her mid-60s. Like, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> a lot of springs left in that chicken as uh, Vince wraps it up here. And we can't wait to see what uh, another great episode of Tuesday Night Titans. Vince doing a little plug-in on the shows, All-American Wrestling. Jesse the Body Ventura, who had become his Tag team partner in in the booth. And uh, what, a, what a great commentary team they were. I uh, always love watching the credits here. Host Vince McMahon, Lord Alfred Hayes, the co-host, and Bruce, uh, producer Nelson Swagler, and Kerwin Silfies, who's still with the company. Look at that. Assistant director was Kevin Dunn. <laughs> Talk about uh, things changing over the years. Worked out well for Kevin uh, a little bit, huh? Uh, this was uh, shot, as I mentioned, in Baltimore, at uh, at Video One, and that's when it was uh, Titan Titan Sports.
1: Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly
2: Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart: the professional parts people. Oh, oh,
0: oh, O'Reilly Auto Parts. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. Hi-ya! But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for
1: everything, Mom and Dad.
0: ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.
2: So, I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. I really did. There was so much going on in that one. Man, Uh I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss some uh, great notes here. So I'm kind of going through them pretty quickly. But uh, uh, the one thing that, uh, that I really enjoy about seeing some of these shows that were prior to WrestleMania one is that, uh, you know, here they're setting this stuff up and um, I'm just surprised that they didn't plug more, you know, get more, get going on, on, uh, you know, that this thing was coming. And I, uh, I I'm sure that, um, you know, our, people that uh, really know their history on this could tell me where they were in the planning stages of WrestleMania, and that would be taking place March 31st, 1985, and this was in February, this is the very beginning of February, so it wasn't far away, and uh, you would have thought that they would have been plugging the crap out of this, but uh, maybe that uh, would, would come a month later, maybe when we do, uh, maybe one of these, uh, you know, one of the shows that's closer to it, and see how they were promoting it. But all this was starting to come together. And of course, you know, with uh, MTV and rock and wrestling, and of course, we would see, you know, the whole uh, thing with Lou Albano and Cyndi Lauper and Mr. T and all the people that would be involved in that. But that was, uh, you know, just uh, you look back at that and how it would just change everything. Um, uh, forever in the world of professional wrestling and 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 you hear people talk about how Vince just put everything on that I mean it was uh if it didn't happen if it didn't work uh, it's it's pretty much over maybe it would have just been territories for the rest of uh, the history of professional wrestling but it didn't happen that way uh and we would see uh, that event really get over and then change everything you know that's that's when it all happened because uh uh, the, the, the superstars were, were great, you know, that uh, at the time, you, the names that you mentioned that were on that card from WrestleMania, and, and uh, we would see a lot of them on these shows because they started, you know, they were putting them over. But King Kong Bundy um, and also Ricky Steamboat would be, it was with the WWF at that, that time. Brutus Beefcake uh, would be at WrestleMania uh, taking on David Sammartino, uh, Bruno's uh, son, and uh, JYD was all, was there, uh, of course. As we 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 mentioned, the uh, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkoff as that tag team with with Freddie Blassie as their manager, and they would become the tag team champions. And of course, Andre the Giant, a, a big star, in of the WWF, and had had been you know very much a part of the WWF, uh, and Vince Senior. Um, and uh, as the legend goes, that he told. Uh, Vince, Vincent uh, Vince McMahon, that uh, junior, that uh, that he needed to take care of Andre, and he did for many 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 years. But uh, this this is all this stuff is really fun to watch. There's for a number of reasons, like like I said, with the the fact of where they were at the time, and then of course uh, you know uh, you're seeing talents like Jesse the Body Ventura really developing, uh, becoming uh, one of the best ever. Uh, at What he did at com- with commentary and, of course, Bobby Heenan would just keep getting better and better and better. And this was when it was all happening. And you get to uh, catch, you know, glimpses of this in these shows if you're paying attention to, uh, you know, all that's happening with these guys. And then compare it to just, you know, maybe a year later or even, you know, two years later, just where they're at the top of their game. And uh, Vince McMahon made that all possible. So it was, uh, it was really fun. I really, I really get a kick out of watching a lot of these. Um, uh, as they keep adding stuff, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep, uh, you know, keep doing it. We'll keep doing these episodes as long as you want to hear them. But I really want to thank people like David Porty and, of course, these other sites who have, uh, you know, these uh, keep notes on the stuff that uh, tell you what's going on in these because I certainly can't remember a lot of it. But it, a lot of it comes back to me, though, when I start watching them. And uh, one of the other sources I mentioned, uh, the wrestling site, uh for uh, their notes. And then also David has uh, kind of become our consultant for these. And uh, I really, really appreciate uh, what he's done for us. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember, this uh, episode, uh, these episodes of the Network Classics drop every Monday at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then, of course, the PTSM collection continues on Wednesday. We have an original episode every Wednesday, uh, dropping as well at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then, of course, on Saturdays, we bring a, an episode out from the vault so uh, you can uh, you know, listen to an, an older episode, which you can always find in the library, but we like to uh, put, put these out there because you know, it kind of brings attention to it that maybe it's one that you didn't catch before and you get an opportunity uh, to listen. Um, a big shout out to all of our Patreon members. Once again, folks, if you haven't uh, joined up with us, we'd love to have you for as little as four ninety nine, You can uh, get everything. Uh, you can get the network classics, you can get the uh, original episodes, and of course, uh, the vault episodes we put up uh, early and ad free. Early and ad free. So uh, check it out. All you have to do is go to uh, patreon.com slash primetime Mooney, patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. Uh, check it out maybe you want to join one of the other tiers we've got a lot of great perks that go with uh, either becoming a Mooney or a Legion of Who member uh, so go to uh, patreon.com slash primetime Mooney uh, still time um, to grab a t-shirt uh, for someone special for Christmas um, you can uh, just go to mooneytees.com uh, may arrive a couple days after Christmas but if you act on it uh, you know you're still still going to get a great present and uh, you can get uh, maybe a Sean Mooney Who t-shirt or uh, you know, one of the other ones we have, a Mooney World Order. Uh, check it out, mooneytees.com. Uh, you can uh, email us at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com, and follow us, of course, at Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. Uh, all right. I hope you enjoyed that episode of this network classic and, uh, folks, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, great rest of the holidays for you. And I will be with you once again, very soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Mooney and I am out.